How's everybody doing this morning? That's good. Are you enjoying the liquid sunshine we're having today? I mean, it's nice. But um, good to be with you this morning. And um, I want to say again, thanks to Nathan uh, for filling in. Uh, I thought he had a great, great informative lesson for us to hear. Um, it's good to hear about what's going on on campus and some of the things that are happening and how you and I, we can be a part of that. That's part of our workplace, our workspace, in a way. Um, we're in a series called Monday Morning Faith. I chose this because, you know, it's so good to be together today. This is the Lord's Day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? The day of the Lord. It's great uh, to be together. Um, and it's on Sundays that we get encouraged and pumped and, and we get some focus. But then our work week starts tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, some of you are going to be going to places like maybe a factory or a hospital or the office. Some of you are going to be going to school or a store or a restaurant or even your work day. You might as well just have a clock, a, you know, one of them punch clocks at home. You work at home. It's all work. And it really starts tomorrow morning. And I hope it's, it's my prayer that in this series that we learn to take our faith to work with us, that it's not limited to staying here at the church building. And we just stay, you know, we, we, we sing and we, and we're this spiritual person on Sundays. Then we go to work on Monday and we become this secular person. God doesn't want us to do that. In fact, He wants us to include Him in all the work we do. Let me give you an example here in Psalms 127, your notes, and up here on the screen. It says, if it is not the Lord who builds the house, the builders are wasting their time. It is a waste of time to get up early and stay up late trying to make a living. The Lord provides for those He loves even while they are sleeping. What's he saying here? The psalmist is saying, it's a waste of life if you don't bring God into your workspace, into your workplace. So whatever you're doing, God wants to be involved in that. He doesn't separate His work from your work. It's all His work. And He, and he says you're blessed. He'll bless you if you do this. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. You, when you give God, you give God, you dedicate your work to God, when you dedicate all you do to the Lord... You're not wasting your life, you're investing your life in making the world a better place, making you a better person. And God is glorified by it all. He made you and I to work. He never separated the spiritual life from the work life. It's all spiritual. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about a character issue. I want to talk about integrity. Working with integrity in the workplace. Wherever I'm working, that I bring integrity to it. You know this, as a person who has a business... I know this. I hire character. I hire character. I'm looking for people with character. Now, I've hired a lot of characters. I'll admit that. I'll never forget one time we got a phone call. <laughs> hey, I need to talk to one of your installers. What's his, well, who is it? I don't know his name. Well, can you describe him? Yeah, he's a big guy. Well, that narrowed it down some. He walks with a limp. Well, that narrowed it down to three or four now. You know, well, he, he's kind of fun. He acts kind of funny. Well, now you got everybody in the company. I mean, I don't know who you're talking about. I've hired some characters, but I'll tell you what. When you find somebody with moral character, listen, people are not just hiring you for your muscle. They're hiring you for your morals. I was at AT&T with my son the other day, and we, as we walked in to get a, to look at a cell phone, a new cell phone for him, a, a, one of the people that works there at AT&T walks up to, to ask a question to the manager and his shirt read lazy but talented 
I went, that shirt ain't working for you, buddy. What, what, who would wear at work a, a shirt that says lazy but talented? Like that means everything. Let me tell you something. I don't care if you're talented. I don't care. If, if, if your character is lazy, I don't want you. You can have all the talent in the world. How many people do you know who you go, man, they could have been a scientist, a doctor, they could have been, they could have done something amazing with their life, but they wasted it away in high school. They wasted it away in, in college. And now they're, they're just wolfing. I, I've lost count how many people I know like that. You can have talent, but, but God looks, He's more concerned about you, like we said before, He's more concerned about your character than your career. He wants you to be a person of integrity. Well, what is integrity? That's a good question. Well, look at some, let's look at some scriptures here. He who walks in integrity and with moral character walks securely. But he who takes a crooked way will be discovered and punished. You know, uh, you're, you're, many of us have had jobs and, and uh, people are going to have maybe more than one in their lifetime. They're going to have several different kinds of jobs. And you know, I noticed something about people who walk with integrity and have moral character. If they're let go, it's not for a bad reason. But I'll tell you what, people who are crooked, who are shady, who are lazy, let me tell you what, employers can't wait to get rid of them. And their lives are, are punished because of that liability and their, that character flaw, if you will. Look what the Bible says here. The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but He delights in those with integrity. God's so excited when we live and work honestly and with good morals and character and with integrity. Well, what is integrity? Well, integrity is not your reputation. Your reputation is what others think of you, what you project, what people see that you project in public. No, integrity is private. It's who I am when no one's looking. It's who I am just when I'm with God, who I really am. And that's why God is more concerned about your character than your career. You should be more concerned about your character than your career. So what, what does it mean to work with integrity? Well, let me give you a few here. We had five people in our first service, and I got to talk too long. Now, hopefully this will slow or speed me up a little bit. Let's see what happens here, all right? How do I work with integrity? Well, first, I work with integrity when I keep my word. A person of integrity keeps their promises. Do you keep your promises? I noticed when I was younger, I made a lot of promises I couldn't keep. I wasn't thinking. I know sometimes we make a mistake. We talk too quickly. We say something rashly. But there's other times when we make a promise and then we have no intention of, of keeping it. Do you keep your promises? Is your word your bond? Is that your reputation at work? See, people of integrity keep the word. When they say they're going to be somewhere, they're there. When they say they're going to do it, they follow through and do it. And by the way, what this does, when, you, when you're a person of your word, it makes you trustworthy, reliable, and it gives you credibility. Look at this passage here in Proverbs 25, the opposite of what happens, you know, when you're not uh, a person that keeps your word. People who promise things that they never give are like clouds and wind that bring no rain. They all blow and no go. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. 
And what I notice is that, is that uh, as a former farmer, when you have a cloud coming, you think, oh good, there's going to be some rain coming, and then it doesn't, nothing happens. Aren't you disappointed? And you're a disappointment at work when you're not a person that keeps your word. You disappoint your boss, you disappoint other co-workers, you disappoint yourself. And it empties you of any credibility. Look what it says here in Psalms 15. David is speaking here. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? He's saying, who can be with you, Lord? Who can, who can be in your presence? Who can live with you every day? He says, well, here's, look at the character traits. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does, does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. Man, this is challenging, isn't it? Who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. And look at it says, who keeps an oath even when it hurts. They'd rather die than break a promise. They'd rather get shafted, get wronged. They'd rather go through inconvenience than break a promise. That's a person of integrity. You keep your word, even when it hurts, even when you feel like, man, this is inconvenient, this is hard. It's hard keeping promises. Am I right? I just did a wedding last week. It was my my nephew James and Casey, uh, his his, uh, fiance, and I'm sitting there doing this, and I'm talking to them, and they're not paying attention. You want to get a preacher mad at a wedding? Don't pay attention to what he's saying. Oh my gosh, I'm sort of going, you guys really need to think about this. I had to, you guys really need to listen to what I'm saying here. They're sitting there, and I'm saying, you need to keep, this promise you're making, this is, you know, by the way, marriage vows are not superficial, they're not symbolic. They are sacred. That's why they should be taken seriously. You're making a vow to somebody. Through thick and thin. And I'll tell you something. God rewards, fellas. God will reward you if you'll stick it out. Who was it? The old theologian? What was his name? I can't remember his name. The old, the old, old comedian once said this. Why is it that everybody that's not married is trying to get in marriage and everybody that's in marriage is trying to get out? I have to admit that even the best of marriages, there's times you want to get out. Ask my wife. She's locked the doors many times, okay? <laughs> you know, there's times yeah, that's going to happen. But, you know, you, but sometimes you just got to keep that promise, even if it, it kills you. And when you do, it says something about your character, something amazing about you. Because you're serious about that. So uh, here's what I've done. I, I've taken a one, instead of a one to ten today, it's a percentage point. I keep my promises. I mean, how often do you keep your promises, would you say? Now, before you put that down, whatever percentage it is, I'd like you to consider two other sources besides what you think of yourself, okay? Yes, consider what you think. But would you think about what would others say and what would God say? And average those together before you circle a percentage. What would others say and what God would say as well as yourself? Average together. I mean, do you keep your promises half the time? That's pretty good, right? Not half bad. Yeah. Or do you keep your promises more than that? Number two, I work with integrity when I own my mistakes. I mean, are you, are you someone who admit you, you're wrong? Will you admit you made a mistake? 
I don't know, to me, I, in the workplace, I've been in the workplace for job of years now, and I gotta tell you, you just don't, you just don't see it. It's a rare thing for people to admit, that was me. That's my bad. And see, and the thing is, people with integrity are humble and impartial even with themselves. They just own it. You want to do something to really test your faith? Something gutsy? When you've made a mistake, be quick to say, that was me. I, I messed that up. Look at this passage here in Proverbs 28. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. That's a promise in the Bible. God says it straight up. Listen, if you won't admit your mistakes, you'll never be successful. But look at the contrast. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Boy, that sounds better, doesn't it? See, people who have integrity at work do not make excuses and BS people when they're asked a straight-up question, what happened? And they just give all this nonsense and generic, a lot of words but no content. People of integrity at work don't shift blame and throw people under the bus. Throw other people under the bus. And I, again, I've had a company now, gosh, almost 30 years. And it's amazing to me, even as I have Christians that work with me, our tendency to throw people under the bus so quickly. How that windshield get wrong? Well, you, it was her, it was him, it was, you were the one that took the call. It was the phone company, the phone was bad. It was the customer. Wait a minute. I thought the customer was always right. No. Now, people of integrity own their mistakes. They, they admit it and they own it. Now, when you, listen, if you do this, you start doing this tomorrow morning, you better have paramedics somewhere close. Because it's going to shock your workplace when you start saying, that was me. Instead of having to do some investment, I, I did that. And I know I'm joking there, but can I tell you, you are going to, you are going to shock people. But I'll tell you something else is going to happen. Your credibility is going to skyrocket. Because see, you're saying to people, you can trust me. You can count on me. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be a person of credibility. Look at the Bible says here in James. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, we've used this passage for years, and I think it is a culture that ought to be in the kingdom of God. That's a tenet or a standard that God wants us to have in the kingdom of God, that we admit our faults to one another. We're able to tell each other, I messed up, I blew that. The more open you are, the more respect you're going to find. But, you know, that goes into the workplace, too, because we're bringing our faith into the workplace, and it means we're going to admit our mistakes. And, and what happens? Healing takes place. It doesn't get worse. It actually gets better. See, when, when you're able to admit you're bad, you can hold your head up in the office. You can hold your head up in the community. You, you can look people in the eye. You don't have to worry about covering something up with a lie, another lie, another lie. No, you don't have to worry about that at all. No, you, you're straight up. And people know it. And you're respected because of it. In fact, what I've learned over the years is the more I can confess, the more I can be open with people, I actually 
get closer to those people. You want a close environment at work? Be real. Just be real. People are drawn to that. Aren't you drawn to that when people are real? I work in the auto glass business. And guys, I tell you, we, we scratch cars, break glass, rip upholstery. And people need to know, we take pride in the sense that it's our fault. We blew that. We messed that up. To walk away and leave them wondering, we just let the chips fall. Am I right, Danny? We let the chips fall where they may. I paid as much as $1,200 for a dash on a car last year over a stain that we didn't make. You say, why'd you do that? Because we couldn't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. We said, oh, we'll just take it. We'll eat it. We'll just eat it. By the way, I'm not bragging about that because I lost $1,200, folks. <laughs> I wanted that, okay? That hurt. But I, I just want to be. I want to be able to hold my head up in my community. And you want to be able to hold your head up as well. So are you a person that admits their fault? You admit your mistakes because God will heal you with emotional peace and security when you're open like that. So, here, how often do I admit I'm wrong? Now, what would you say? But what would your friends say, the co-workers? What would God say? Is it 30% of the time? 80% of the time? Number three, I work with integrity when I treat others with respect. Now, I'm about to get into a a point that um, i got to speak out of weakness if you'll let me do that today. But I've learned, I'm learning this, that I work with integrity when I treat others with respect. And there's two ways I want to give you that I think like God challenges me personally to do and I feel like it may challenge you the same way. Okay, number one is, here's two ways. I honor confidentiality. Oh boy. Last night we were, uh, Andy Lazer's moving back to Ohio. You know, Cleveland wins the championship and now he's moving back to Ohio. He can hold his head up in Ohio now, you know. He's a Buckeye. And uh, Gary and I were talking. Gary goes, I didn't know he was leaving. That shows you how little gossip is going around. I'm going, could be. <laughs> could be. But I just know that sometimes we, you know, it, you have to admit the workplace is a hotbed for gossip. Am I right? Everybody wants to hear something. And like the news that has changed from journalism to now commenting and opinion, instead of reporting the facts, sometimes we can get caught up in filling in the gaps with assumptions and opinions about people. You follow me so far? Awful quiet in here. You know, I learned something. I have never found a Bible passage that tells me or encourages me to spread bad news. That's because I don't have a problem with that. Do you need a passage that says, spread bad news? No, I got that one. If that's in there, God, I got that one down. I'm good at that. Just being honest here this morning. And the thing I notice about bad news, especially about rumors, they spread quickly. In a New York Times article by a guy by the name of Brendan Nehan, he wrote a series of articles 
and they were in this series called The Power of Fiction. And this article I was reading uh, this week, he talks about why rumors outrace truth on the web. Now, I'm not trying to be body, I guess, is what I've been told I can be sometimes. I'm not trying to be rude or dirty here. So, just, you can talk to me later, alright? But he gives an example of a woman. There was a story that a woman had a breast implant, so she had three breasts. The story was shared over a million times. I'm not making this up. It was a hoax. It wasn't true. When they figured that out, and the truth, the true story behind that, what was really going on, it was only shared a third of that amount. Over a million sharing of this story. Imagine the discussion at work over that. And only a third, only a third wanted to know the truth. Why is that? He, he, he said, you know, why is it that rumors, and there's power in rumors, am I right? They dug up Lincoln's body several times because someone thought possibly his body was stolen. They finally had to put it in concrete, reinforced with steel, so we could stop the rumors. That's how powerful rumors are. I've watched rumors destroy people. I've seen, I, I've, I have been a part of spreading rumors that have hurt people. Talking about something I had no business talking about. Should have kept my mouth shut. Years ago, years ago, I was a teenager riding a bus, and there was a rumor in high school. There was this one church in town was the church to go to. They were growing. Everybody was excited about it. Great place to go. And the critics began to spread a rumor that the youth minister had slept with one of the teenagers, and that teenager happened to be riding our bus. And I was like, oh my gosh. The youth minister's sleeping around with this girl. Back and forth it went. Youth minister finally has to leave. The girl is just devastated by it. Never investigated it. It would be years, years later. I'd become a youth minister, working in a little country church, and I studied the Bible with two girls. It was the first and last time I ever studied with two, or with someone from the opposite sex, other than my mother. And the rumor was I'd slept with both these girls. And I realized then and there, oh my gosh, is that what was going on when I was a teenager? Rumors are ugly. Rumors can get things sideways so quick. And man, I don't know about you, but I need to shut my mouth when I'm thinking of spreading a rumor. I need to honor confidentiality. This guy, this guy in this New York Times interview, or this, this article said this. He said, the reason rumors spread more quickly than truth is because rumors are more interesting. Did you hear me? Rumors are more interesting than truth? Yeah. More sensational than truth. And so he recommended that maybe we need to spice up the truth and make it more interesting and more sensational. And that would solve our problem. Isn't that something? We have to appeal 
to this dark shade in our character that looks for dirt. Proverbs 18.8 says this, the words of a gossip, is up on the screen, are like tasty bits of food. People like to gobble them up. You know, I'm, I've been told that I should, if I've got anything to say about someone, it should be good. Well, this is real good. Gossip. And somehow, somehow, I catch myself. I, I, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's a gill issue, okay? Although, Gills do have a problem with it. I'm not sure how your family is, but I catch myself, if I don't watch it closely, I get in that lane so quick. So quick. A lot of times I think I'm helping people when I'm not helping anyone. And so, in the workplace especially, you and I, we've got to be people that refuse to spread things. And how does it spread? By listening to it and repeating it. Look what it says here in Proverbs 11. A gossip can't be trusted with a secret, but someone of integrity won't violate a confidence. See, people of integrity are careful on Facebook, on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, VoiceBot, just talking when they're talking about people. I'll tell you what, if there's anything I've been convicted of in the last 30 seconds, look at these passages. It reminds me of this. Whenever I start talking about somebody, a red flag should immediately go up, Tim. Take warning. Real quick. Tim, you know your tendency. I want you to know, that's what I'm going, that's what I'm, I'm right now just dealing with that right now. Okay. Okay, Lord. You know, when somebody texts you and says, don't tell anybody yet, what are they saying? Well, they're saying, don't tell anybody yet. Could they also be saying, you tend to tell everybody? I get a lot of those texts. You get any of those like that? No, i got to honor confidentiality if I want to be a person of integrity. I refuse to troll on the web. I refuse to listen to garbage. I honor confidentiality. I, I treat people fairly by treating them with faith. Number two, I refuse to rip people off. That's another way. Look at here. God hates cheating in the marketplace. You hate it if somebody shortchanges you at the cashier? You hate it when somebody rips you off on eBay? God hates it when you pull the same thing. He hates cheating in the marketplace. He loves it. Look here. He loves it when business is above board. And look at this other proverb. God cares about honesty in the workplace. Your business is His business. It's nobody's business what I'm doing. Well, it's God's business. And people of integrity, see, people of integrity, they don't step on other people to get ahead. They pay their bills. If they make a commitment to buy something on credit, they follow through and they don't rip the people off. They're honest when they're striking a deal. Right now, I have 100% on my feedback in eBay. And it's gold right now. Why? Because anything I put on eBay, they at least know this. 
It's exactly what he's describing. But have you ever got somebody, you're looking at eBay, oh, that's a cheap product. And you look on there and it's 76% approval. You going to buy that so quickly? I'm going to probably stay away from that one. You got two stars. I think I'm going to back off. No, you, you want to guard that. Why? Because it gives you credibility and it honors God. I stand behind the stuff. I stand behind what I do. I don't rip people off. I don't rip off my boss. Did you know I read this this week and I read it in a couple other places that the average American spends one to three hours a day on their smartphone at work. I'll say this. If you're on your smartphone right now and you're not really relating to this lesson, may God strike your cell phone dead. You thought I was going to say so? No. I don't think so. But you know what I'm saying? I, I have my phone strapped to me. I was trying, messing with it. Coming, you know, trying to, uh, I had something I wanted to share and I'm messing with it. I'm like, oh, sometimes I want to throw it across the room. The cell phone, the smartphone has now get, made us accessible more than Batman, for crying out loud. And it's, it's harder to get stuff done. And you know, I don't know how you are. At me at work, I see people on a cell phone when there's things to do. Well, I don't know what else to do. You're not thinking. You know what you're saying to me? C&W employees, when you're on the phone, when there's things to do, I don't give a rip about this job. And what you're saying to your employer, when you're saying to other coworkers, is, I'm just not, God's not getting my A game today. Look what the Bible says here. Don't work hard only when your master's watching, and then shirk when he isn't looking. Work hard and with gladness all the time. As though working for Christ, doing the will of God. It's the will of God that I work hard? Yes. Is it the will of God I work, I work with gladness all the time? Yes. Is it the will of God that I shirk back? No. See, uh, when we talk like this, I know somebody may be thinking this. I know I do. You know, well, Tim, that's just unfair. Here I am, a Christian, and I'm working hard, and I look over, and there's somebody leaning, there's somebody over there doing nothing. What about them? And I'm saying, they're not your gauge. They're not your standard. You don't look at somebody slacking off. You know what? I, for me, I have to. I grew up with a brother. Do I have to say any more? Competing, comparing, two brothers. And, I, and you know what I, I learned? I learned I can always find somebody to compare myself to to make me feel good, and can always find somebody to compare myself to that makes me feel bad. So it's a wash. So I have to, man, I have to ignore the slackers. Well, Jim, you, you, don't, you don't understand. My boss piles it on me sometimes. They ask me to do the dirty stuff. They ask me to do all this other stuff. Why are they doing that? Are they, you think they're trying to get rid of you? Is that what you think it is? It's possible. Put it on him, he'll quit. Or could it be that you're reliable? You'll get it done. Well, I should be paid more. Well, that's another problem, another sermon. That's all I can say. Another problem, another sermon. But I will say this. I will say this. That as a Christian worker, you have to ignore those that aren't doing the job. By the way, there's going to be times they're going to have to ignore you if we're wrong. So, 
I treat other people fairly. How's that going? How often am I treating other people fairly based on what I think, what God thinks, and what others would think if I averaged that together? What would you put? Number four, I work with integrity when I do my best for God. When I bring my A game on Monday morning, how do I do that, Tim? Well, the way that starts is I simply dedicate all my work to God. I do it as if I'm doing it for the Lord. Nathan showed this passage last week. Let's look at it again, Colossians 3. And all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for people. Circle work the best you can. The Bible encourages us to work, to bring our A game to work. Your work, why, why, why bring your best? Because your work says everything about you. It says more about you than what you say, what you feel, what you intend to do. In fact, your work, what you do, expresses your faith and expresses everything about you, what really matters, your core values. I remember reading this in a little book uh, by Bob Russell called When God Built a Church, about this Christian church in Louisville. And he said these words, If it bears his name, it deserves my best. I've always took that to mean, okay, if I'm preaching, God deserves my best. If, if I'm welcoming people into the building, God deserves my best. If I'm serving coffee, if I'm working with kids, if I'm in divorce care, or I'm, whatever I'm doing, you know, whatever ministry I'm in. But that verse is saying a whole lot more. He's saying, whatever you do, do all the work you're doing. That includes where I'm at, where I'm employed? Absolutely. Can I challenge you this morning? Put God's name where you work. Put God's name there and see if it'll change the way you work. It's His business. It's His place to work. Paul told Timothy this. He said, concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of. He says, concentrate on doing your best and... and, and do such a good job that you aren't ashamed you can hold your head up at work or in your community or with your family. Now he's talking about the work of an evangelist. And one of the things I noticed as I looked at Second Timothy, I was looking at this passage a little closer, I read, I read what led up to those words. See, Paul uses three people to illustrate the kind of work he wants us to have, the kind of work that it takes to work with integrity. And I'm going to read, like to read 2 Timothy to you. If you've got a Bible or a cell phone, you want to flip over there to 2 Timothy 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. This is Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who also will be qualified to teach others. Then he says this. He gives him three people. He says, Here's your job description. Here's your job description, Tim. Now, you need to remember something as you approach your job description, what you're going to do. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier. He's a soldier. He says, no one, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, there's a second person. He does not receive a victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Here's the third one. The hardworking farmer 
should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. He says, reflect on what I just shared with you, Tim. It'll help you do your job. What do one of these three people do? What do they tell us about integrity? What do they tell us about work? Well, first, a soldier, he says, be like a soldier. Endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, good soldiers go through all kinds of things, don't they? They endure all kinds of things to get the job done. What's the army say? Be all you can be. The Marines talk about the best, the few, the proud, the Marines. What's the Navy say? They don't have a motto? Oh, Paul. Huh? That was a Marine that said that. Okay, I'm not gonna, we're not going to have a fist fight here. Okay, but you know what I'm saying? It, it, we want your best. We want your best men and women. And that's what we have. That We talk about having the best military. That we, we, have, we have the best men, best equipment. Best, best, best. It's got to be the best. Why? Because serving as a soldier, you're giving your best and you need the best. And a soldier's attitude says it all. They endure hardship. They sacrifice. They sacrifice to get the job done. They're focused on the mission. They're not going to let petty things get in the way so they can complete their mission. An admiral one time was speaking to a young cadet in his office. He said, young man, I get to ask you a question. He goes, what's that, sir? And he goes, well, do you always give your best? And the young cadet sits there for a minute. He goes, well, yes. He answered it real quick. And he said, but then, you know, he said, looking back on it, I realized, wait a minute. He goes, I said to the admiral, no, I don't always give my best. He goes, do you understand? You have got to give your best all the time. Your country is depending on that. Your unit is depending on that. I'm depending on that. And that young man was Jimmy Carter. He said he never forgot those words. Never forgot. He said, from then on, I thought, I've got to give my A game whatever I do, whatever I endeavor to do. Guys, giving your best is hard. Doing what's right is not easy. Doing the right thing when it'll get you more trouble, that is hard and difficult. But you've got to give your best. Endure like a good soldier. You've got to fight that battle to do what is right. An athlete, right now we're in the middle of the Olympics. Anybody else? Everybody's watching, I'm sure. If I asked, probably a few of you are not. In my, on my dish right now, I can get six or seven channels of all kinds of stuff. Basketball, archery, Michael. If I want to watch Michael Phelps, I can watch him on three different channels. They've got golf. Yes, golf is a sport. Athletes. Dum, 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 dum. When I think of the Olympics and the Greeks, I think of birdies, bogeys. No, I don't. I don't think of that. I'm sorry. I don't. Guy's walking up to the ball. He's addressing the ball. His gut's out to here. Wow, he's in shape for this. I don't get it. It's stability. <laughs> you know, weightlifters have that. Yeah, he's lifting a club. Okay. But, you know, think about this. You know, it, it, these athletes, but you think, I don't know if you know this or not, okay, but the, the, the second biggest metaphor the Bible uses to compare the Christian life is sports. Look at this passage here uh, that I've got for you here. Here's an example. Run 
your best in the race of faith and win eternal life for yourself. For this is the life that God called you to when you professed your faith before many witnesses. He's telling Timothy, you've got to do your best. You've got to run to win. You know, I've learned something. I I, I have to think about this during the Olympics. I always do this during the Olympics. You know, I could have been in the Olympics. I remember one time I dreamed of being in the Olympics. You guys remember when you dreamed of being in the Olympics? Maybe you were hitting, maybe you were running, and in my head, I'm running down, you know, running through the farm. The crowd's on his feet. Little kids from Golden Gate, Illinois. Who would have thought it? It's a miracle story. It's amazing. He's going to win the marathon. He beat the Russians. And I like, and that's my fantasy. Now I hear a pig. That's reality. I'm playing tennis, and I'm playing against the best, and I'm, I went, it's chicken. It's in the chicken yard. I kid you not. The chickens remind me reality. Then, you know, as you get older, you go, well, I guess I won't be running. I won't be hurtling. But I can shoot, I shoot a good, I shoot a mean BB gun. I can be in that air rifle stuff. So for several decades or years, I'm watching, you know, the air rifle. Yeah, I could do that. Why am I, I can, why am I not in the Olympics? Let me tell you why I'm not in the Olympics. I'm a casual Olympian, not a committed one. I'm a casual Olympian, not a committed one. The athletes are, man, they're serious. Very serious. They have a goal in mind and they are going to get that goal. You guys, I don't know if you watched fencing. I, I could not get enough of that. I've watched the Americans. I'm sitting there going, what is this? Sword fighting in the Olympics? Cool. Somebody's going to die. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, you didn't win the gold. No, I lost a kidney. Oh. Now I'm thinking this is going to be something. I'm watching this. It's amazing how lightning fast these guys are. And the United States is taking on France or Italy, taking on Italy for the bronze medal. A guy by the name of Garrick Meinhardt is a part of this team. And they start talking about Garrick Meinhardt. And they said, this guy, this guy was since the age of seven wanted to be offensive. But he was too young. He had to wait till he was nine. And his father put him in a class to learn how to fence with an, with an Olympian. He's 26, and he went, helps. He, this guy scores lightning fast. The Italians didn't know what to do with him. And every time he'd score, he'd go, ah! and this light's blinking in the side of his head, ah! and the crowd's going crazy. He's just way, way off the chain. And they win the bronze medal. It's the first time the Americans have won a medal in fencing in over 80 years. You don't get that done with casual. Michael Phelps. What can we say? He has more gold. He right now is ranked 38th in country. Just his medals alone. 38th in the world. Of all the countries of the world. You don't get there with casual. You know what? I mean this with all kindness, folks. But some of us here, you're casual. You're a casual Christian. You're not going to get very far. You think you're going to get eternity with what you're doing? 
You really think so? When God says you've got to have, look what he says. Run your best in the race of faith and win eternal life. Run to win. You don't run casually and win. You've got to be serious about this. And I'm just afraid some of you here, you're going to leave here today. That was nice. And you're going to continue to be in your casual approach of life. And you're going to lose eternity. You're going to lose it. Because you're not serious. I know that sounds pretty rough, but guys, let me be honest about something here. It takes discipline and commitment to have eternity. It took seriousness and commitment to bring eternity to you. Jesus was all in. Like a good soldier. Like an Olympian. But then he uses this farmer. And what is a, he says, a hard-working farmer, he says. And what's a, I've been a farmer. It's hard work, folks. And it, farming tests your faith. You know, you're doing your part and you're praying that God will do His. It's up to God. You do, you do what you can, and then it's up to God to do the rest. And there's a principle there when you stop and think about it. Because when you bring your best to God, He will do the rest. If you bring leftovers to God, you're going to get leftover blessings. But when you bring it all, God's going to give it all. You're saying, Tim, that if I, if I give God $100, I'm going to find $100 under you know, a rock somewhere? No, I'm not saying that. But I'll tell you what, God, you cannot outgive God. He will bless you. I've tried. I've tried to outgive Him. I've tried to do, I've tried to do stuff think, man, top that. I didn't get out of my mouth and He's already topping it. He blesses us when we give our best. You know, if I sow, think about this, a farmer, if I sow a little... What should I expect? A little. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. But if I sow generously, he blesses generously. So in my workplace, let me ask you a question here in my workplace. How much percentage of the time does God get my A game? What would God say? You're giving me your A game. You're giving me all you got. When I'm turning a wrench, or I'm thinking something out, figuring something out, when I'm speaking to someone, when I'm on the computer, whatever I'm doing, pushing paper, is God getting my A game? Number five. And finally, I work with integrity. When, I, when I'm real with others. When I'm real with others. Look at this here. We re, here's what Paul said in First or Second Corinthians here in the message. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't man, maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Look what he says here now. Pay attention. Rather... We keep everything we do and say out in the open. What are, you, what, are you, what are you saying, Paul? What I'm trying to tell you, Tim, is we're not one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. I'm not one person on Sunday. Jesus, through my firm foundation. And then 
Monday, Jesus, when is this going to end? Different. Different. Paul says, I'm not different. I'm the same person on Sunday as I am on Monday. I'm going to be real. By the way, think about this, all right? Um, a person of integrity doesn't act one way on Sunday and then another way on Monday or Monday through Friday or whatever you want to say it. He shows up as the same person. So ask yourself in this gauge here, is there a gauge next? Am I right? Yep. Am I real with others? What percentage of the time? Wherever I am. Am I real even here? I got to talk to someone before church began, and I just appreciated the realness. The realness. Well, that's the heart of this church. She makes this place a better place because she's just going, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to be real. This is what's on my mind. This is what's on my heart. And I'm encouraged by that, to be real. You tell, you tell me that you don't go to work. If you start being real at work, that won't spread to other people. The tension in the workplace just dies when you're real. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to tell another lie to cover up another lie to cover up another lie. You can just be yourself. It creates great freedom. So let me ask you this morning this probing question today. Who is going to show up Monday morning? We've been getting together. We're getting ready to close. We're going to sing a song. You're going to fill out those cards. Then we'll sing another song and take up those cards and the contribution. And then Alan's going to say, have a great afternoon. It's going to be over. Today's going to be over. Sunday's going to be over, basically. And then work starts tomorrow morning. Who's going to show up? Can I tell you who's going to show up? You are. The real you is going to show up. Well, what's that person going to be? Who's that going to be? Who are you and I going to be? Because I'll tell you, nothing discourages people more, especially if they go to church with you and work with you, that you're one way on Sunday, but you're completely different on Monday. You're demanding and critical, but you're not like that at church, but you're that way at work. Who are we going to be tomorrow morning when we start our work week? Will you and I be men and women of integrity? Will we be the kind of people that will be people of our word, own our mistakes? Will we treat others with respect? Will we just do our best? Will we be people saying, you know what, I'm going to bring my A game tomorrow. I want to encourage you, bring your A game tomorrow to work. And watch God bless it. Watch God transform not only you, but the workplace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power of some of the things You say in Your Word are just amazing. And Father, I just, I've got five pages of Scriptures that talk about work. And Father, I mean, we're just barely touching some of them. I am blown away by the standard You have, the encouragement You give, the warnings You offer. You, you make that clear. The blessings You offer, Father, are just amazing. Father, I pray that as Christians here, that we be, wherever we are, the best employee there. That wherever we work, if it's at home, if it's in an office, 
if it's on a campus, if it's at a restaurant, a factory, a car dealership, wherever it is, Father, will you use us, help us be people of integrity, remind us to give our best, remind us to be people of our word, let our yes be yes or no be no. Father, we cannot be people of integrity without your help. So we ask for your help here. Help us show up tomorrow morning, Father, bringing our faith with us, bringing what you want from want in your word to this place we're going to spend over a third of our life doing. And may you be honored and glorified in such a way that unbelievers will, will be not just impressed, but curious as to how and why we live the way we do. Father, I think of people right now that are sick. Tom is recovering from hernia surgery. Tom Tarantino, Lord. I know we, many of us here have not know that, that Debbie Weiler has been diagnosed with cancer. Stephanie is home. We have people that have come out of the hospital. Father, I, I, think, I just think about there's those of us here who are ill and we don't make a big, we don't even say anything about it. We're not, but we're in pain. We're hurting. Father, I pray for your healing power. And Father, I pray for your purpose to override whatever is happening and just give, give the Christians, give us as a church, those of us that are sick, Father, great comfort and security and reassurance that you love us and you're for us and whatever comes, we're going to be okay with it. Father, I thank you for people in this congregation like Andy who's going to be gone in just a few days. Father, I pray, I bless, I pray you bless his, his relationship with his wife. He's getting back together with her. I pray, Father, that you bless his relationship with his mother who's ill. He's wanting to take care of her. And Father, I pray you take care of his relationship with his daughter, which is he's wanting to see healed. Father, you've, you've healed relationships before. Heal this one. We thank you for him. What a great guy. Bless him, Father. Use him wherever. Father, I pray for the international barbecue that's coming up on Tuesday. Father, that, that we know we're going to have a lot of students there. You've already got that planned. Help us be on our game, Father. And welcome these people who may, for the first time, get a glimpse of not only American life, but what a Christian's all about. Father, that's what we pray. That's what we praise you for and we offer to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.